Hey everybody, my name is Adam22. Welcome back to the Iced Coffee Hour. And to this date, we have made $300,000. Great guess. $200,153.80. Pretty close. And what an intro. It's almost like you do this for a living. Yeah, I got a syrupy voice. I'm like a phone sex operator. (laughs) You really do. You really do. I appreciate that. Cut it out, guys. <laughs> anyway, save it for after the podcast. All right, okay. Thank you so much for coming all the way out here, man. It's an honor, man. I, I watch you guys' podcast. I'm a big fan. I've learned a lot. So I appreciate it, it. It's crazy for me because I have watched your podcast for quite some time. You've had so many people on there. And like for, for me to like have you here is just it's crazy. Wow, I appreciate that. Yeah, it really is. We had no idea that you watched our stuff, and it's always crazy to yeah. learn who does. Well, I was watching the YouTube uploads for a while before mm-hmm. I got turned on to the podcast, which is kind of weird that like you could exist in one part of YouTube interacting with the creator and not really get exposed to their other thing. But yeah. the algorithm started pushing some random episode on me and then i just started going back through and learning a bunch so yeah thanks to the algorithm guys yeah. if you want if you want to help that algorithm all you got to do oh is subscribe gosh. hit the like button and comment anything down below because it, it does make a difference i've noticed it does so well thank you for coming on um where did you get your start because you've interviewed such incredible people. You've grown this pod, your podcast to just incredible numbers right well so 2006 i uh you know i've been riding bmx bikes since i was like 12 years old was was super into that my whole life uh and then i moved to new york city in 2003 when i was 19 and pretty pretty much i started playing online poker for a couple of years and then in 2006 at age 22 i was spending so much time online playing poker that i started you know really poking around in the blogosphere at the time and my other main interest at the time was hip-hop so i started to see all these rap blogs and everything and they're they're really starting to take hold 2005 2006 and i started to notice like a change in my behavior where all of a sudden i wasn't buying a magazine at the store every month about rap music i was just reading this blog every day and so you know a little part of me was like well maybe i could have a rap blog and then it was i was too insecure about that at the time Mm -hmm. i was like i don't really feel like i have enough specialized knowledge about that but then it, it clicked like i know almost everything about bmx bikes so i started that website and within like a year or so it was like hugely popular i felt like i was pretty much like a household name in my niche and so i just kind of kept grinding that from like 2006 to maybe 2012 i moved to la in 2010 and um 2011 2012 ish is when i really realized like oh this blog is becoming less relevant and social media is becoming way more important so i started to really kind of just dedicate like big chunks of my time to just figuring out what my uh, direction was going to be in that regard and uh, you know at some point i got turned on the joe rogan experience and started to you know find out about all the rap podcasts of the time like uh, the the combat jack show and the joe budden podcast and stuff and started to click in my head like i know uh, i know all these bmx riders maybe i can get my start interviewing bmx company owners and and pro riders and stuff like that and then like very very quickly i interviewed one underground rapper mm-hmm. and it did very very significant numbers you know in the bmx world it's very easy to just be kind of like stuck in that niche you know and never really peek outside of it there's a lot of things that are like that i'm into poker and poker is kind of very very similar where everybody who plays poker seems to know about all the same stuff and then everybody outside of it seems completely clueless to everything but as soon as i did that one piece of content with a rapper i just kind of realized like oh i'm around a lot of people that are not really being heard right now but their music videos might get a couple million views if i interview those guys it'll probably do pretty good i started to do that i started interviewing you know youtubers and 
comedians and porn stars and just really felt like if I kept going and if I kept grinding it out and just really trying to get better and and not just that but also kind of climbing this like social ladder that previously I felt like I had no access to because in the BMX world again nobody cares like nothing you could do in that world is going to really make anybody pay attention to you you know and then all of a sudden I have my foot in the door and I'm just kind of doing everything I can to get all these different interviews done and that's basically been like the last six years of my life or so that I've just been trying to make it work. So when you were doing poker, when you said you were what, like 22 or so, Yeah. did you find that like profitable? Were you really good at poker? So that was the very, very early days of online poker where, Oh yeah. Everything was legal. It was being advertised on TV nonstop. Mm -hmm. Everybody was horrible in comparison to now. Everybody is (laughs) fairly good at poker. So it's a lot harder to make a living now, but yeah, I definitely had a a, a couple of hundred thousand dollar plus years playing online poker that that was my main form of sustenance before the blog kind of kicked off but then as soon as the blog kicked off i started to be honest with myself and i was like i don't feel like i'm gifted at poker and i don't feel like uh this is for me like i just i just kind of knew like i want to dedicate all my time to trying to make this uh, blog pop off and how do you scale a blog and also how did you monetize the blog so you know this is 2006 is like very very early days of making money through being like an influencer or having a platform i remember somebody saying to me like you know you need to start running ads and I said, nobody's making money off ads unless you're fucking Google or something. You know, it's so crazy now because even a, a tiny YouTuber is mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, maybe I can pay my rent off making videos or whatever. And uh, at that time, it was basically just me trying to convince all these different BMX companies to, to give me like 200, 300 bucks a month. And I was able to kind of cobble that together until mm-hmm. it started to look like some kind of legitimate income. But then also on top of that, you know, I was running sort of like programmed ads on the side from Google or whatever. And I ha- actually, at, at times, I had really big success with that. Because like I said, I started in 2006. At some point in 2007, I had like a company get in touch with me who were like, oh, we're going to run ads on the side of your website. And mm-hmm. they pay very, very well. I said, okay. First month, I made 10 grand from just no those way. ads. And then the fucking financial crash hit the next month. And all these banks and all these advertisers just, it plummeted. It it turned into like a thousand bucks a month overnight. So that was like one of many moments where it seemed like things were going to work out a little better than they did. How are you like paying for housing, food and stuff like that when you went from like 10,000 a month down to a grand? Let's just say, were you making money elsewhere? I didn't stop playing poker until I was making like three grand a month, which to me at that time, that was what I felt like I needed to get by living in New York City, which, you know, my rent. I think I was splitting a thousand dollar a month apartment with my girlfriend at the time. So mm-hmm. that was reasonable. And I mean, I felt rich making five grand a month. You know, yeah. I felt like I was killing it. Like, cause I couldn't, you know, I was doing what I really, really wanted to do. And when I look at that, at that, at that time, I had a very big opportunity to sort of pivot and maybe not just do the BMX thing, maybe like start doing some other niches and stuff like that. But you know, I was so young and my, my mind state was just a hundred percent. Like I love riding bikes. I love making bike videos. I just want to be out in the city doing this. Shit. And so it kind of took me a while before I sort of realized that I didn't have to limit myself to doing content about one thing. That's so you were basically just acting as like a marketing agency for a bunch of different BMX companies and then promoting their products or whatever to the people that went and visited your blog. But you also ran ads for those other companies as well. Yeah, yeah we were running ads on the side. But then mm-hmm. also there was some degree where like, you know, if they're advertising, you know, I figured that out at one point, like, oh, if they advertise with us, we're going to link 
to their website in the post mm -hmm. about their video and otherwise we're just going to run their video and you know not really give them any extra promotion or anything like that but um yeah and when i look back at it like the real reason why the bmx blog became such a big deal so quickly because i'm in new york city i'm 22 years old i have no connection to the bmx industry which is pretty much at that time 100 located in southern california and i was talking shit about everything and anything you know my the perez hilton of bms right but but not not in a way of like trying to be an yeah, asshole yeah. i just was being completely honest yeah, about everything right. and i pretty much immediately earned the uh ire of all of the uh bmx media people because i, yeah. I was really up their business and yep. and I, i'm like destroying these million dollar media companies in bmx because all of a sudden these magazines are like not anywhere near as relevant as they were before and then in comparison, but I'm making this tiny amount of money in comparison, but like I really look back at that and I, I see mm -hmm. that and I'm like, wow, that, that was pretty incredible that I was able to have that effect on that industry. But then at the same time, um, what, what fucked it up was that I really wanted to make more money. So I started to tone down my editorial voice and stop talking so much. Shit. And when I look back at that, I really kind of feel guilty about that because I would have much rather kept that platform pure and mean and funny mm -hmm. and just you know it's yeah. like I, I i look back now that i've actually kind of gotten to the money and i'm like holy shit i made a lot of decisions that weren't really me throughout my life because i wanted to you know be financially stable so that's one thing i kind of look back on and i'm like i never want to do that to no jumper i never want to like really just kind of limit myself editorially mm -hmm. just to make somebody happy you know yeah is there is there any blog that you wrote that sticks out as like most impactful or something like that or something that really kind of threw the industry in a spiral yeah i would just do all these blogs where i would just pick one thing that was normal and i would just tear it apart and explain why it sucked and why you should never do it again <laughs> and there, like, there, what? like what's an example so there's a bike trick or like a there's a thing and it, this is, sounds terrible and racist these days but we would call it an indian it's basically like if you do a 180 and then instead of turning around and completing the rotation, you would like 180 and then spin back the wrong way. Mm -hmm. so oh, you, so yeah, you yeah, give yeah, it yeah. And then you take it back. Yeah. So it's the Indian giver. This was like 2006. Oh, okay. This is sure, what we called sure. it. It seems yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. weird. I heard a lot of people in BMX don't call it that anymore. Okay. But I remember just writing an article of just explaining of how stupid the idea is of doing a 180 and then turning back again like not completing the rotation like this is so obvious to me so i write this blog i get so much shit for it where people just claiming that this is freestyle and it's supposed to be about having fun and you're a fucking asshole you're trying to take the fun out of bmx i swear to god i almost never saw anybody do one again after that. the thing that's funny to me is that you were hating on that trick where it's like you jump back and you jump forward but i feel like like, like if you're just riding a BMX, shouldn't you just like do what you want and do that's maybe what, what I, looks cool? What Rather, do. like I sure yeah. logistically it doesn't make sense to like to do like a 180 just to right? do it yeah. right back. But if I showed you it on camera right now, you would be like, oh my god, that's so ugly. So like, it's just not, the way, not even so knowing just the way anything it looks. about bike riding, you would see it and it's just like offensive the way it looks because <laughs> it doesn't look right. And at the time, people would do it really, really bad. And you know, I just had an opinion, and to me, that's like. I, you hilarious. know, a fashion blogger can say like, oh, like this brand of pants is terrible. And a rap, uh, you know, now this yeah, is just so it. normal that a rap blogger is going to say or a vlogger or whatever is going to say this album is trash. This guy's girlfriend is not a good person. That I, makes that's sense. That's not how I was going to end that sentence when I started. It, but, <laughs> you know, like just all these like it's OK to have an opinion. now. Yeah. But there are like like I, I watch a lot of skateboarding sort of meta commentary content. 
and I've seen them kind of like going through this where there's certain YouTubers who kind of have a presence now who they just talk shit about skateboarding and they get so much shit. It's not an industry that's really like kind to people being really fiercely critical of it, which doesn't happen in a lot of other niches. Like in hip hop, you can just say whatever you want. But isn't that a part of it though? Isn't it assumed that you're going to kind of trash talk each other and that's just a part of growing? Yeah, but I think it should be more you know more accepted if anything like i was watching a, a one of these skateboard guys that i watched this dude gifted hater who just talks about skateboarding stuff and he he showed this skateboarding contest that had been streamed online and he's playing clips from the commentary that they were doing and he's pointing out how stupid and how fake the things that the commentators saying are and he's like why don't the announcers of this contest talk to us like they assume that we have some degree of intelligence and I was like, that is a great fucking point. I've never heard anybody make that point like on camera before in this way. But somehow, like these action sports are very, very resistant huh. to any sort of like introspection. How many viewers did you have to this vlog, uh, the blog back then? Uh, it's hard for me to say blog. I just want to say vlog. It's hard to uh, to even remember. Yeah, like I have no clue in retrospect. Any number I would say would be probably just a lie. But it was, you know, probably it was by far bigger than any other BMX website at that time. Yeah. So what happened to it? Could you ever sell it? I didn't. It, 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 yeah. Like once No Jumper started to really pop off. I kind of just put it on autopilot, had a couple of bloggers updating it and stuff. And, and it just sort of faded into irrelevance. And then at some point just kind of took it down. And, and and I do look back at it and I wish that I had been able to continue to scale my business and start doing this other side of uh, content and like, you know, be able to hire people who would be good on camera to do that. And I'm still kind of like, I still have conversations with some people on my team of like, maybe we could bring it back because right? now we're making a lot more money on Facebook. I'm like, if we could just make YouTube content of BMX riding and then also make money off it on Facebook, maybe we'd have enough money to have two or three people on staff yeah. to actually be able to keep this brand going, even if it's not some big profit center for us. So I'm still kind of kicking it around, to be honest. Got it. Now, on No Jumper, how did you start? 2014, we had a, a bike shop downtown Los Angeles, like basically on the edge of Skid Row, which is pretty much the gnarliest place that you could go in mm -hmm. LA. It's like nonstop homeless people and drug abuse. And that was the only place where we could really afford a store at that time. So we start this store. We've got, you know, some desks in back where we were just sitting, working every day. And I, uh, I remember one day I just sat down and I watched like five videos in a row of like, what equipment do I need to start a podcast? And eventually came to some conclusions, started ordering everything. I remember I just found a guy on Craigslist that said he was an audio engineer. And I'm like, I'm going to pay you 30 bucks an hour to stand in this room and listen to this stuff and make sure that it sounds okay. And pretty quickly I got it to the point where, uh, where it just didn't even need anything. So I was going there doing interviews with rappers in the middle of the night. I'm showing up at 11 PM. I'm taking my phone, putting it on a bike stand, not even like a, mm. like a thing that was meant to hold a phone yeah. and just recording. And a couple of times I forgot to put it on airplane mode. And, um, like I remember the ugly God podcast no. that I did in 2016, like halfway through, there's just no video cause it just turned off, which was oh, pretty man. traumatic. But yeah, over the years just kind of started trying to get my setup more and more consistent. Who's the rapper you had first on that would like kind of took it off. There was this dude, Xavier Wolf. He was the first one who was like, he had a wave going at the time, like 2016, where he was popular in like the sort of downtown LA, like hipster type world. And uh, yeah, that just kind of, I did one really good interview with him. And then that just kind of opened the door where like a lot of other cool rappers wanted to tap in. And then the one that really went crazy was I interviewed XXXTentacion, who was really small at the time. Mm -hmm. 
uh, he had one song with a million views, but I was getting all these comments by people who were fascinated by him, and they sent me links to videos of him fighting people on the street outside of like bars in downtown oh, wow. Miami yeah. or some shit like that. There was a clip of him stabbing somebody, and I was just fascinated by him, so I did the interview with him. Didn't really think that much of it. It was, it was an hour. It was a very, very good interview, but it wasn't like I, I had no idea his career was going to do that, and then he just absolutely exploded after that, and the interview might have had a couple million views already by the time he passed. And then uh, when I look back at the graph of all of our views throughout the history of our YouTube channel, the day he died was the day that we got the most views. And, you know, over and over and over doing this kind of content has sort of shown me the value of content. And, like, the fact that when he died, that piece of content just became that much more valuable because all of a sudden this is just like a historical document for people to understand this kid that there's not going to be anything new to understand him by, you know, and he yeah. only did a handful of interviews. And I mean that, that like, even before he passed, it really changed my life. All of a sudden I had everybody in the music industry hitting me up, like futures managers tapping in with me, Rocky, ASAP Rocky's managers yeah. tapping in with me. And this is for me at the time where I had no connections to anybody in the music industry, but I did one interview that just got me on everybody's radar instantly and when i look back at it it's like i very much could have maybe not have been as big of a presence and have been maybe more of like a mid-tier podcaster if it wasn't for that because that really just blew shit out of the water as soon as i had him on and, and really showed me the value of getting in with people early and documenting their life and just content in general it seems almost like you've become uh a Almost like you know, you know, like the late night talk shows where people come on and they they talk about themselves and they're kind of interviewed, except much longer and and more like a like a real in depth conversation in music. Which did that were people doing this before you really dove into it? Well, I got to give salute to the the OG DJ Vlad because he yeah. really like created like the blueprint for what it was to do content with rappers online. When I started, I honestly wasn't thinking about him because to me. He's always kind of cut his shit into shorter clips, which I also think was like a really important innovation, even though he took an amazing amount of shit for it at the time because he was actually drawing attention to what people were saying in these interviews. But um, I was very, very early on it, and especially with the underground rappers. It just wasn't people doing content about them. And one of my things I, I learned early on was even if it's not the biggest rapper, even if they don't have a number one song, whatever, like these are really interesting personalities. And when it comes to the internet, the fact that your your music isn't that popping really doesn't matter if you have a really amazing personality and if you're real and you know just people want to hear from you yeah how do you pick people just my gut you yeah. know just who I, I look at the analytics or whatever i look at how they're doing on their platform and a lot of times that'll tell you something but a lot of times i'll watch a smaller youtuber interview them or i'll just get tuned into their instagram i take suggestions from people all the time um just try to keep my mind as open as possible. I just had this girl CC reacts on who's she, I think she only has 50,000 subscribers. She's growing really fast though. And she's just this, uh, a little bit older woman. I think she might be almost 40. She did a bunch of prison time for credit cards, scamming and shit. And her, her, she's just amazing on camera. And when I heard her, I was just like, I don't care at all that she has 50,000 subscribers. Like she's, she's amazing. Like I just want to put her out there to the world. And I really just believe that, it'll prove to be a good decision, you know? How much time do you spend researching your guests before you have them on? <sighs> See, sometimes it'll be, you know, like if I were going to have you on tomorrow, yeah. I don't even know if I have to do any research because I already watched a lot of your podcasts. Maybe I want to like read through a bio so that 
little things like where you're from or whatever doesn't escape me. But for the most, like, you know, I, I kind of feel like I don't have to do any research, but a lot of times with the rappers, I want to see their videos. I want to have a decent idea. And, and I do hold myself to a pretty high standard with that sometimes because I really, I want to do an interview a lot of times that is for your fans. You know, I want to bring yeah. something new out of you that'll actually make them happy. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want to, like, I, I call them cover band interviews when people just do an interview that somebody else has already done and just repeat all the same questions. And I just think it's like shameful and I just hold myself to a higher standard than that. But, you know, then sometimes, I mean, I remember back in the day, I had to interview Wyclef from the Fugees. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I probably spent a whole weekend like, listening to it's his pretty big though, listening yeah. to his music all day at night i'm watching documentaries i'm just trying to learn because his career was just so vast that i just felt like i had to know <laughs> as much as possible but through doing so much research i've gotten like really fast and efficient at actually figuring out the stuff that i need to know i'm always terrified of doing too much research because mm. sometimes i'll i'll know something and then not ask it because mm. I, I know it already <laughs> versus going in doing nothing and then showing up, then I ask the questions that I feel like a viewer might also ask who's not familiar. Mm. Yeah, we try to go into each podcast with one of us knowing a decent amount about the guest and the other person knowing nothing. So you get both the in-depth questions and the surface level questions because realistically, you come on our podcast, our audience for the most part, they're not going to be the right. same as your audience. They won't know who you are. So like Graham's going to need to ask the questions. Let's just, let's just say theoretically, if he's not well-researched, mm. that they're going to be wanting to know. And then I'll ask the questions if I am the researched one that, you know, your, your audience would want to know. Yeah, that makes sense. I just really always try to bring something different to it as well. Like I just mm -hmm. had this guy, Larry Lawton on my podcast, who's like America's biggest jewel thief of all time. <laughs> and he, he went on DJ Vlad maybe a year or two ago and told his all his whole story. And then when I sat down with him, he was kind of like reiterating mm -hmm. parts of his story and everything. And I just, uh, you know, I, I felt like we had a conversation that very much like kind of went beyond the basis of what he yeah, did in his good. life, you know, where you can talk about your opinion on things and all these different things. I just feel like that's kind of important to be able to expand upon what other people have already done. Like in my head, I want to be doing some, I, I like to hold my audience to the standard of catching up, you mm -hmm. know? And then I want your audience to actually be interested in the interview. And it doesn't always work out that way, but I really like to have my repeat audience kind of need to know what's going on a little bit. Not, not that they need to know because we'll, we'll cover the things, but I like to just try yeah, to keep them yeah, informed. Yeah. How do you do that? Because I'm always trying to figure out, like I, I love Joe Rogan and how he asks questions. And mm. it's amazing to me how naturally he makes it seem from the like beginning to end. It seems like just a normal conversation, mm. but he brings out these topics that I would never think of. Do you ever go into it thinking I'll ask these questions or how do you take it in that direction and get good at that? I'll write a bunch of questions down, yeah, but I, I think you always have to be looking at like who you are as an interviewer and what your style is. And to me, Joe Rogan, when it comes to a lot of topics, like now when it comes to MMA, when it comes to maybe like nutrition and working out and stuff, he's he's the expert. You know, he knows everything. Realistically, you're probably not bringing anything to the table that he doesn't know about unless you're a huge expert in that field. But then when he interviews, you know, a rapper or a person, like I heard, I was listening to interview James Hetfield from Metallica. And I, I'm pretty sure at one point in the interview, he's just like, dude, this one song, like, I forgot what song it is. He'd be like, that fucking song rocks, dude. And I'm like, bro, Joe Rogan is the alpha male of normie interviews right here because he's interviewing the motherfucker from Metallica. And he's so clearly, like, didn't even really pry into this guy's past at all. Whereas if I was doing that interview, I want to do enough research that I could feel like a Metallica fan is going to get something out of it and yeah. not just be sort of rehashing whatever. But that's just my style is that I kind of want to be 
as informed as possible and just as tapped in with as many different subcultures in general. And I mean, really, I started doing interviews because I was just spending so much time sitting in my room, watching documentaries, watching other people's podcasts, reading blogs for, for a while before I started doing a podcast, I want to be a writer and I'm sitting in this fucking coffee shop for like eight hours a day, just, just trying to write blog posts and write articles and stuff. And, uh, at a certain point, I just kind of had the epiphany of like, I, I think podcasting is way more for me. Like I shouldn't be sitting around trying to figure out how to perfect a sentence, which is so much of what writing is, you know, what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. If you were to transcribe this and present it as like an <laughs> article, it would be terrible. It's yeah. like we're thinking out loud, you yeah. know? So uh, I found that that was kind of way more of my style. Would you start doing it full time? And like, that was your focus. That was what's paying the bills. I mean, I've never had a job since I was in high school. Yeah. So yeah, when I was 22, I started doing that BMX thing, and I just kind of transferred from that to No Jumper around 2016 or so, 2017. And, you know, we still had the bike shop on Melrose in L.A., but uh, we got rid of that, actually, luckily, like right before the pandemic. And uh, we, we want to make a return in that regard, but uh, not not really sure exactly when or where. But, yeah, it pretty much, you know, like – I. I I can't remember when the no jumper thing actually started making a decent amount of money, but within like the first year or two, I was looking at it and seeing it making, you know, two grand, five grand, however much. And then when it really started to hit its stride though, because I was also doing these iPhone vlogs. So an average day for me would be wake up, go to my shop, film clips, talking to the fans, film clips of all the freaky shit that's going on outside, all these weird people out, out and about in Los Angeles and Hollywood. And then I'm also bouncing between doing that to doing interviews in the back of the store. So like an average day, I might have been doing, you know, a, an iPhone vlog all day that I would then edit that night and then also multiple podcasts throughout the day. So I was just looking at that like this is this is it. I got up to like 50k a month from doing that and then the apocalypse hit and that became 5k a month. Wow. And that was when I started to realize like I have to do all kinds of stuff. I have to diversify, I have to start live streaming, I have to start doing merch, I have to start doing a lot of different stuff and um yeah, that just was very, very important in the development of everything because, you know, even right then, immediately I landed on one of our biggest revenue streams that I've made millions off of, which is we go on live stream and it started to occur to me, like my DMs are flooded with people that want me to listen to their music. So we go on live stream and people start sending $10, $20 with their SoundCloud link so we could listen to their song. And I think the one one of the first time it might not have been the first time, but one time we did it, we were charging twenty dollars a song, and we stayed on for I think twelve hours wow. and ended up making like ten grand or something, which is massive to me at the time. And then we just kind of evolved from there. Now we charge one hundred and twenty bucks per song. I got like a whole cast of me and my friends. No way. We sit around. We average around two thousand bucks an hour. And uh, that that just was me being reactive to the fact that I had all these people sending me their music. And I was like, okay, well, if you want me to hear your fucking music, here you go, you know? That's genius. Mm-hmm. It is. How much thought did you put into the into the shot? Because I remember watching your earlier videos, and I'm like, where is this being filmed? And it's just like a table with a whole bunch of stuff everywhere. And there's so many people just, like, hanging out. And that's why, and that's <laughs> the why I like the is the best example of that. The which? The XXX and Tassian yeah. interview, because there's people, like... Uh, uh, DJ Scheme, who's still like a very popular DJ and producer and stuff, you just see him just sitting on a bike because we mm. didn't have enough chairs. So he had to sit on a bike <laughs> for an hour while we're doing that interview. And yeah, in the beginning, I didn't care about aesthetics at all because keep in mind that when I started, almost nobody was putting their podcast on YouTube. Everybody was audio first. And when I fucking look back to that time period, I did a lot of like 
sort of goofy in my opinion now as a YouTuber things like I filmed four episodes before I went live so that I would be able to put them all on the iPhone uh, the podcast app at the same time so that I would be able to rise up on the charts or whatever I thought that was super important at the time and uh, now I just focus on YouTube although we do we make a good amount of money off the audio as well but yeah that the the, the visual part I just figured you know if I have anything that'll be pretty good right but what about now because you could you could afford like the top of the line set and mm. like professional people kind of like what impulsive has where you have that, yeah. like, one camera that yeah the one that moves around yeah, and yeah, yeah zooms, zooms in zooms, zooms out the one, yeah. and then, like the other guy doing it and he has like five people behind yeah. the scenes just like tinkering with everything yeah we just have a bunch of dslrs on tripods um my guys who are editing for me they they pop up and they set all the cameras up when i'm about to do the interview mm. i lock in i got one guy running the obs and then that's it. I've always tried to keep the actual podcasting like extremely low cost mm -hmm. just because you don't necessarily make that much on YouTube off of a, a single interview, especially when some of the interviews don't really go crazy. And so I, I, I don't know. I care about the way it looks, but I'm also just not really that pressed about making it look incredible. I don't know. There, there's There's got to be something to be gained for it. Or I, I feel like there's people out there that I see who are kind of making a name for themselves through having really high quality, but I don't know that it really is going to move the needle that much for us would you ever do that or do you think it's more your brand just to kind of have a, a, a relaxed environment yeah exactly we're, we're kind of doing yeah. like a full redux of our filming setup because we just bought this like five million dollar office building near our current spot and we're just sort of rethinking everything and just putting so much money into building out these different studios and everything so we're actually building like cool sets and backgrounds and kind of rethinking how we're gonna approach the cameras and everything like that so we're, we're Doing a little bit more of it now, but I also just don't really think that's our primary value Five add. Million dollars? Why? That's a big investment. Where could you tell us where that is in LA? I'm guessing by like Burbank. downtown Burbank. Yeah. Why? Holy why so cow. much? Well, you know what? Before we go into why so much, why are there always people hanging outside? Like you walk outside, and there's like ten people just like waiting. So you're thinking of the store. This is yeah. the office, uh, which it. is okay. secluded, and we All have right. security, and nobody's allowed to come there. All right. Um, the, when there were people hanging out outside, I mean, I seen some of the weirdest shit I ever seen in my life outside the store. I mean, people would just pull up, go to the weed store down the street, and then just sit outside and roll weed. And like, you know, at first I would be able to stand outside of the store and have a conversation with people and there was nothing. And as the months went by, it just became more and more, if I went outside for five minutes, there would already be a bunch of people who wanted to take photos. And then there would be people who started pulling over in their cars and all of a sudden were 40 deep mm. outside the store, which I didn't have security at the time. I wasn't thinking about anything like that. And it's, you know, it's just like a lot of people want to make it in a creative world, right? And like, I mean, if, if you're the biggest Graham fan in the world, like how do you meet Graham? You probably just don't. Or maybe you go to like a meet and greet or a live event at some point. Maybe you get to shake hands at some point, but it's very hard to like approach or get exposure to the people that you're looking up to, right? And so, you know, just the fact that we had that store just made us like way too accessible to people, which, you know, it's nice to be able to have that kind of relationship with people, but at a certain point, it just doesn't scale at all. Yeah. You're telling me that Lil Xan was hanging around. He was stumbling but around, fucked up off pills. Yeah, like he was just one of these but regular kids that was hanging out around there. Was this yeah. before he his yes. career took off? Yes, and then Why? one, one day yeah. his career blew up, and I was like, how the fuck did that? I didn't see it happening. Like, I didn't think his Wait, so music why, had that kind of why was he hanging around is it because he knew that you were so big in the scene he just wanted to make his presence known yeah he there's like a photo from way back in the day that was just like 
a fan photo of him and me that's kind of crazy to look back on just that he was thinking about me like that and yeah. he, he just wanted to get his rap career going so he was just kind of hanging around you know that's, Jeez. Yeah. and he just blew up and then afterwards you had him on the podcast and everything and yeah like one of our biggest videos is just interviewing him that right was after he blew up yeah, yeah. that was one of my favorite videos <laughs> i have to say i think that's how i was introduced to you was through the lil xan video yeah, what was the one song? I'm, I'm uh, blanking on the name. The one song that uh, everyone... Betrayed. Betrayed. Yeah. It's a great song. It I, was. I really like it. and I. How could he never do that again? Like, not, not even to yeah. talk shit about him, but like, <sighs> I never really understood. But I, would, I used to talk to his manager, and he said that he just wouldn't record. He'd it's, be hanging out with like 10 girls a day. He just but wouldn't he, record? But, how, he but he was like yeah. 18 when that song took off. He was pretty young, yeah. Maybe he had less in his system when that, was, no, when that song came out. You know what out? I think it is? You, you can't handle that sort of attention and money at 18 and conceptualize it when you come from nothing. But also, he was really bad with drugs. And since he was yeah. really young, mm. which is like pretty much the whole story. Like mm -hmm. if he had been sober during that time period, I feel like he would have been able to pull it together, but he was the opposite of sober. Yeah, and it's rough when you give someone like that in that position access to anything that they would want. And for two years afterwards, he could pick anything and just be like, I want that and then do it. I mean, and there's no one telling him no, or maybe yeah. there are, but at, at that level, you could afford just to say, all right, well, you know what, go away. I remember I went and uh, I was hanging out with him and his former manager, Stat Quo, and it was right before Southwest Southwest, and um, he had some shows booked, and it's, I don't think that they were like paid shows, or they're like pretty low paying shows, you know, and uh, Stat was saying, like, we gotta go tomorrow, we're going to Southwest Southwest, and Lil Zan was like, fuck that, I make money online every day, I don't gotta do that shit. And I remember his manager just saying, like, this show is for Genius. You know, like, Genius.com mm -hmm. is, like, fucking big-ass platform. They could do a lot for you in terms of music and stuff. He's like, if you don't go to this show, they're not going to fuck with you again. They're not going to care about you anymore. If you don't rub their back right here, and not even that, but, like, you are booked. You said that you were going to go. If you don't go, it's going to be really, really bad for your career. And he didn't give a fuck. And, I mean, that's just not how you become a popular artist. Most of the most popular artists I know are people who are kissing babies and shaking hands at the radio stations. And yeah. shit. Not, not always. Sometimes yeah. you're so popular and cool that you don't have to do that. But, you know, realistically, he probably should have done that. It seems like in the rap career, it's pretty common that someone, like, skyrockets and becomes extremely popular very fast. And then, like, a lot of the times they'll drop off. What have you noticed, uh, like, are the main determinants of if someone's able to continue going? on that rocket ship of success mm. or something that usually leads to a lot of people's downfall? Is it like drugs? Is it ego? Is it other stuff like that? Or? Drugs and ego are a huge part, but also I would say that a lot of rappers kind of blow up, not off being rappers, but off being memes. And mm. sometimes there's like a song that is the distillation of their personal meme. So the song is kind of like their whole thing. But then after that, there's not that much further for them to go with it. And even there's some popular rappers that I can look at and I'm like, that guy doesn't have a second album in him, you know? Mm. Like his his value proposition to the people right now is just the fact that he has like a cool voice, cool style, he's kind of got a different flow, but by the time you get to album number two, he's not gonna be able to keep people interested. And a lot of times that's how it happens. And then once in a while you'll find somebody who actually is able to keep switching it up and, and keep the people interested. And that's, you know, a enduring superstar. And even of the rappers who are big, that might be 10% of them or something wow. like that, you know? and. Uh, 
Yeah. It's just, Do you ever warn people? Like, if you see that sort of situation, you're like, hey, you got one great record. Do you ever just say, hey, uh, <laughs> be smart with it. Like, I'm going to tell you from my experience, it doesn't really work out. I'm just like, don't blow it right now. Like, play it smart these next, like, two years. I don't really think it's my no. place okay. to be doing that. You know, my you, 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 you kind of realize yeah. over time that there's certain things that might be true and correct that you just don't have to do. Like, like one thing I realized kind of early on is like, I never need to be criticizing a young rapper who's coming up. It's just not what people want from me. It's not a good look. It's not doing anything for me. And it's, it's the easiest, lowest hanging fruit. And there's like a whole little world of YouTubers who make videos about rappers falling off saying, oh, this guy did a show and 10 people showed up or this guy's album dropped and he sold 4,000 copies. So he's a fucking loser whatever. Okay. I probably agree with a large percentage of those videos, but for me, I feel like I'm much better suited to be, you know, amplifying and helping people in their career, um, at least the majority of the time, or at least unless they disrespect me, at which point I'll yeah. usually just start being honest. Now, hasn't some of that changed? Because it seemed like in the beginning with BMX, you were trash talking mm -hmm. and that was like a way in. Has that shifted now? You you stay away from trash talking or is it just like you've just grown beyond? but i was trash talking yeah. the industry right and i was talking oh, I about see, yeah. like just for example one of the things that got me in a lot of shit in the beginning was that there was a a bmx awards show that they did and do every year and i just did not agree with some of the people who won because it's like it's voted on by the industry so mm -hmm. you get these bullshit ass people winning because all the people in the industry are friends with each other and they just vote for the shit that's popular and there's even been rumors about you know that shit being rigged for the sponsors and everything like that and you know i don't hold my tongue at all when i'm talking about Nicki minaj or when i'm talking about drake when i'm talking yeah. about you know because i just have an opinion like they don't yeah. fucking care uh or if they do care so what like you're famous i'm not going to be able to do anything that would negatively impact your career. Mm -hmm. But when it's some girl that's coming out, who's got 20,000 followers, it's just so much more on brand and beneficial for me to be the one who says, I think you have some talent. I'm going to give you an interview and help you in this yeah. rise. You know, there's something to be said for that. And I, I like being able sure. to play that role where, but then sometimes those people become gigantic superstars and someday they might hear me having a real opinion about their music yeah. or their career or whatever. And ideally by the time they become millionaires, they're not going to be so, so thin skinned. Although a lot of times they are. You know? That's a good rule of thumb. Always punch up, never punch down. It's just not a good look. Or at least you have to be a millionaire, right? Or at least you have to be a millionaire. At least they're a millionaire. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of the Island boys? I interviewed them before they were the Island boys. How did you find them? They were just, popular memes on on youtube and stuff they were always going on instagram live and just arguing with everybody and uh <laughs> this is before the song took off before the song yeah which the song wasn't really that big it was just the tiktok of them yeah. doing yeah, the yeah. chorus of the song and i remember thinking to myself like is this below me like like is, is this really beneath me to do this interview <laughs> with these guys because their music is very very bad and uh but i thought they were so funny and they were so viral I was like, dude, I just, I can't not do this. I did it and it got a couple million views and I was pretty hyped on it because then they really blew up after that. So I was like, I'm, I'm very glad that I got in there yeah. early. What was your impression of them? Because I, I would love them to come on the iced coffee hour. I would love it. Uh, I sent them a DM. They did not get back to me. So the, uh, the doors open, they didn't see it, but I think that they're, um, frauds for sure. You know, like no disrespect to them, but they're running around saying they're bloods. No, they're like running around kind of acting tough for a while. It's like, no, this is not. I mean, it's just like, you know, they're cool. They're kids. They're, they're having a good time, you know, like maybe the music will get better over time. But I mean, they're they're kind of dumb. 
They're kind of like just clueless as fuck. Just, I mean, like look at them. They have the full tattoo. They, look, they got the Kodak black hair. Now they got fucking the lineup. I don't but know. Do you think that they're actually smart, like underneath no, it all? Because, like, really. but think about what they've done. Like, they've probably made a lot of money. They've Cam, the cameo. seen a lot of, they've seen a lot of success. <laughs> you know, well, cameo, True. the Fashion Nova sponsorships. Yeah. Uh, on yeah. Instagram. I tried to calculate how much money they made, and I went through all of their income, and I tried to calculate. I guessed that they were making about they they were on track to make about one and a half million dollars total between all of those between the two of them. So like you know seven fifty each, if that continued throughout the year. Right. Maybe. I mean, yeah. It's, it's, what are they going to do with their fame from here? You know, it's kind of. Creating OnlyFans. They were really like, cool with oh me, gosh. too. Jack, don't give them ideas. They unfollowed me when yeah. I, uh, well, I didn't even do it. Somebody on my news team posted the video of them getting booed at the club, and they were extremely oh, upset about that. Oh, I saw that, that video. I didn't have anything to do with this. This happens to me all the time where people are furious at me for something that one of the people who works for me posts. But, I mean, it happened. I don't know what's so bad about it having attention called to it. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Do you ever worry about, like, burning bridges? Like, let's just say... They hear you say, oh, they're dumb or this and that. Does that ever worry you that like, all right, now you've kind of lost, not lost that connection, but like you're not keeping the door open in the future? I guess with some people, I try to be a little bit more delicate. But I mean, am I really going to sit here and lie to you and be like more optimistic than I really am? I mean, the fucking people know. Mm-hmm. They know it's a crazy social media world. They know these guys are not famous for their music. If they do find some other way for them to be enduring personalities and parts of the culture, you know, good for them. Like, I'm, I'm not, like, hating on them at sure. all, but I also wouldn't really say that they're, like, evil masterminds or anything like that. I would say that they're just kids who kind of just became famous from just being really fucking simple, really. <laughs> Is there is there anyone you've had on your podcast where you were like so nervous to meet them or someone that you were a huge fan of and it was a big deal to you? Master P. Mm, That's yeah. just one that comes to mind because like I, I had to fucking pull some some tricks to make it happen. Like there was a store right next to ours who was doing a drop of some like famous Master P album art. They were doing t-shirts with his album covers or whatever and I get in with the guy from the store and I tell him, I'm like, can you make it part of the deal with you doing this event for him that he'll also stop by and do this interview with me? And somehow this actually happened. And, you know, Master P is a massive human who is, well, I thought he was extremely rich at the time. There seems to be a debate about that online now, if he actually is rich or not. I don't really know where that stands. But, uh, you know, he had all these these guys were on all black pull up before he got there, scoping the place out, looking around like real deal presidential security that I was very impressed by. And then he just comes in and his demeanor is just so just grizzled. Like he's just seen everything and done it all. And yeah, I was, I was a little nervous for that. Or even like somebody like Joe Budden is like just such a huge podcasting hero of mine. And then he just comes in. But I mean, that's part of the challenge. I try to like, I don't like meditate as much as I should, but I try to just be in this extremely calm state when it comes to doing the interview. I try to just like the thing I'm thinking about is like breathe deep, relax, just be as comfortable as possible because any energy that you're wasting on being nervous is useless. It doesn't do anything for you. It's just energy wasted but i mean sometimes i'll have podcasts where i realize partway through my hands are clammy mm. i'm fucking sweating under the armpit etc and i just try to try to keep it cool and you know but that happens so infrequently right i used to have that feeling about everybody at first mm. i was nervous as fuck to interview anybody and that just has slowly kind of dissipated through doing a few thousand of these 
You know who I was really nervous uh, was Andrew Hales. Remember that? Oh, we, we yeah. Did the, the chatting with, because I had watched him since mm. like 2012. He's Loff on YouTube. Loff on yeah, YouTube. He did a lot of prank the, stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 About, yeah. yeah. So someone like you had seen. Yeah, growing years, up. Years. Yeah. And like that kind of shaped, like that really helped get me into YouTube. So to like to meet that person. Yeah. Who was like. That's oh, crazy. Who I was like, wow, it's, it's him. Like that was scary for me. Yeah. But okay, this is yeah. also part of it is that. I could never be nervous. I'd never be that nervous to interview you because you're a YouTuber. You talk yeah, on right. camera. I would probably never be nervous to interview a podcaster, a comedian, uh, whatever, because, I mean, that's just what they do. You like your kind of job is to think of shit to talk about. Sometimes I'll have a rapper who's really young and really not that conversational, but their music is really, really popping at that mm -hmm. time. And people want to see me interview them. And sometimes you get into that environment and they start one word answering you. And then it becomes like, you know, how do you coax something out of them? How do you get them to open up to you a little bit? And uh, sometimes I'll be kind of nervous in those ones because you have to start filling the, the timeline with you talking more to make up for the fact that they're giving you these short ass answers. Yeah. I'm like, how do you break them out of that box? But, you know, I, I feel like usually when that happens, the audience blames it on them, not me. So sure. at least if I put my best foot forward, that that can be good. Do you think it's just they're nervous or that they just don't want to be there or that's just naturally them of just like, yeah. Yeah, no. I think they're just a lot of times when they're young, they're just they don't have great conversational skills. And then even beyond that, a lot of times, so many times I've had people come on the podcast and they think that they're just going to smoke a shitload of weed before the podcast and during the podcast. And like there's this thing where. If I'm sitting at home alone smoking weed watching TV, I don't notice the change in myself because I'm mm -hmm. not really doing anything. I'm just sitting here. But if you're sitting on camera with the bright lights on you and you're just high as fuck a lot of times because people are lying to themselves because there are rappers who just literally smoke blunts all day and it doesn't really impact them that much. Honestly, I could have been smoking weed all day right now and you guys probably wouldn't really know. But some dudes do this and they don't realize how bad on camera it makes them to be high. Not to mention, oh my God, the lean. Oh. The lean or the pills. If somebody's doing that, like I remember one time I interviewed this rapper Sosa Geek from Brooklyn, and he, uh, I had watched another interview with him where he was clearly on some kind of upper, and it was great. It was he was just talking nonstop, and then I interviewed him, and he walks in drinking lean, and it's a downer, and it was you know not great. It was certainly not his best interview. You know, it was just slows you down to a crawl that shit you know what was the weirdest thing that you've seen or have you ever been in a position where like i gotta cut this i can't i can't post it <sighs> yeah i mean yeah definitely there's been a lot of stuff i mean we used to do the pods live yeah and i remember uh boonk aka john gabbana yeah, yeah oh my gosh yeah. boom gang, gang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whole lot of oh I can't yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Sam, we're live oh my gosh yeah. i forgot about him we were live what happened to that okay, anyway. he pulls up and he, he could barely get a sentence out. And, like, I'm just like, bro, I'm not doing an interview with you like this. You're fucked up, bro. Like, you need to you need to go get some sleep or something. Like, this is not, it's not okay. And he just, like, kind of forced himself into the chair. And it was just babbling. And it was terrible. And then as soon as he gets up, he just, boom, he fucking passes out and smacks his head no. on the wall right there. And that was one of the most viral things that we ever had happen. Because <laughs> I remember the next, the next week I was in Hawaii. And, like, the waiters at the restaurants, like, a couple of them said something about it to me. And I was just like, well, this shit has traveled to the, the working class waiters of Hawaii. That means that apparently it's pretty wow. big. Wow. Are you ever excited when someone walks in and you just know it's going to be a catastrophe? 
Because like that's where the real viral moments can hit. Yeah, gosh, boom. <laughs> I would rather have wow. a great conversation and go viral that way yeah. than for them to be fucked up. You know, especially for me now where if it's really bad, I might just not put it out. Or Yeah. You know, like the ones where they just embarrass themselves. Like the boom one was the one where it was so extreme. And it might not have been that viral, but then he hit his head on the wall and then it was viral. What happened to him? Because I remember I used to watch his Instagram videos. He, and he, he found was- Jesus. And he's a boxer now. Are you serious? I watched him beat the shit out of Supreme Patty in a boxing Wait, ring. Wait, he beat in Supreme Florida. Patty? Supreme Patty? Yes. Oh my god, that's a name I haven't heard. Yeah. Wild. Wow. I did I've a lot of fighting it. as a young. Did man. you really? So much. Like we used to just fight all the time since I was like elementary school, all the way up through my like early twenties. I would get in bar fights really? all the time. Did you ever get into like an actual like damaging fight? Yeah. Bad. What, what was what, what was that? Yeah. What was that like? <laughs> I mean, I just remember I was one night where I got in a fight with some guys in a bar in um, in Austin, Texas, with a bunch of my friends, and th- this guy just like started something with me, and I remember I just wound up and just punched him in the face, and I remember I felt my hand really like enter his mouth, and like all oh his gosh. teeth got knocked out, <gasps> and then I ran up out of there, and. I realized one of my friends didn't make it out with me and I'm with my girlfriend at the time too. And all him and all his friends run back out and they beat the dog shit out of me and uh, like really jumped me bad. And I can hear my friends attacking them while they're jumping me. And I remember just being curled up in a ball, just like waiting to get knocked out and it never happened. And I was when I went and also I could tell that the dude who I knocked his teeth out was one of the guys beating the shit out of me because he had my sweater was just soaked in blood that was clearly like pouring out of his mouth. And then the girl, because like, I went to New York the next day, I had a flight to catch. And uh, I remember the girl just telling me that she saw him a couple of days later with his jaw wires shut. And uh, yeah, that, that was near the end. What of, was the fight over? I can never imagine getting getting like that angry. <laughs> nothing. Like like really? he said something to me in the bar. He, like he, he overheard me. He was drunk. Yeah. And he overheard me saying something about... I was talking about a friend of mine who owned a bar and I was just saying, I'm like, yeah, my, my buddy he owns this bar. And yeah. And the guy walked by me and he goes, nice name drop or something like that. So that was enough at that time in my life to chase him <laughs> down and attack oh him. Oh my God. Wait, wait, so, so he said, nice name drop. And then you went up to him after that and just, yeah, I just sort of like sped over there. Like We're, ten seconds later, I'm like in this heated confrontation no. with him. Yeah. Oh, so you caught you confronted him first, and yeah. then when and he then he started. Back, yeah. oh, he, he put his hand on my shoulder, and that was when I was just like, okay. Oh. And I remember I had a beer mug in my other hand, like sort of like this. And I remember that after I punched him in the teeth, I just looked at his friend and just went boom and just no. broke it on his head. And I had all these holes in my hand from the from the, the mug. I don't know what I was thinking. Did you get in trouble for no, that? Never, no, never. No? Never. Never been arrested as an adult. Well, one time and I got I got away with it easily. Okay. What it, <laughs> I got a lot of questions now. <laughs> What'd you get arrested for as an adult? I was on a BMX road trip and uh there were two girls who lived in Manhattan that agreed to let me and like eight dudes stay at their house. They had a really nice apartment, uh middle of Man- midtown Manhattan, great area, super nice area. And uh one of my little homies who's like 19 or something he's kicking it with one of these girls and they're getting drunk together and apparently like at some point they think it's funny they start throwing corona bottles at the window we're like 30 floors up and i'm they had a two-story apartment which is very rare in manhattan that basically says a lot about how rich these kids are these girls parents were and um and it was like their first week of college like they hadn't even started classes yet and i'm downstairs with her friend 
fucking making out with her or something and i start seeing lights flash outside so i i, I look down and i see like a couple of cops down there i think you know whatever i start seeing more lights i go and look again there's way more cops one of those beer bottles hit a cab oh no and so the cops come the cops start pointing the lights they figure out which apartment it is they storm up in there the girls the girls uh roommate lets the cops in um all my guys are asking me what do we do and i tried to do the right thing i said don't snitch on the girls because if you snitch on them then we're not gonna be able to stay here and <laughs> if you don't snitch on them there's no way they're arresting 12 people in this apartment right which seemed like a safe assumption it was not accurate because they arrested all of us <laughs> yeah we did like 24 hours in the local jail what do you get arrested for i mean why would they do that because they could vandalism or something yeah well, they what? couldn't prove it's you they couldn't it's, prove anything and that's what i was yeah. telling them i'm like how are they ever going to prove who threw the bottle right you know they're not going to be able to so it's more they, just to but they're the mad stop, so they, yeah. they arrested us anyway and made us sit around for 24 hours and then i remember one of my friends hired like a ten thousand dollar lawyer to represent him but all of us like everybody else we just used public defender because it was so clear to me that we we're going to be able to beat this like nothing that's the only time i ever got arrested as an adult yeah wow and I remember there was a clip that went super viral of you doing your podcast and someone showed up with a weapon. Yeah. Can you walk us through what that was like for you? So that thing we do where we play people's music? Yeah. Um, we were doing that one night, you know, just hanging out. Everybody's smoking, chilling. There's probably like five or six dudes there in the back of the bike shop. And we ordered some Postmates. The Postmates comes. My guy goes outside and he grabs it. And as he's opening the door this dude sneaks in who was kind of hiding in the in the corner back there and he runs towards me with his gun and starts oh, yeah. pointing my head and like you see in the clip that i'm kind of like covering up and i, I go hee hee like i made this like weird noise like i don't know if this is like nervous <laughs> reaction mechanism. or what but the thing you can't see on camera that was kind of trippy is that my guy is got his gun out pointed at the dude's head so by the time I see this dude running at me, I'm also thinking like, oh my God, this dude's about to get murdered right in front of me right now. And somehow the guy did not pull the trigger, which is his own personal situation. But then, I don't know, we beat the shit out of the guy and then he, he the gun ended up being fake. We called the cops. The cops like didn't even want to come. They like didn't, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to drag this unconscious person into the alley and leave him there. And the cops were almost saying yes. And I'm like, no, you need to come here. There's a weapon. There's a, it ended up being fake, but whatever. And uh, I actually ended up going to court about it, but then it got dismissed before I even was able to say anything. Why, Why did the cops not want to come? I guess just because Melrose is a fucking free for all. And keep in mind, this is way like crime is so much worse in Hollywood and yeah. particularly on Melrose. And they just didn't seem to think that it sounded like something that they should care about. And, and then even when they came, they clearly didn't know anything about me or what was going on in this operation here, which is fine. But to me, if you're a cop in this area where there's already like a bunch of incidents that had happened at the store, it was like, it's just proves to me that you guys are really inept yeah. and really clueless that you don't know anything about what's going on here but i don't know what happened to the dude or anything and what why did, why did he break in was it to rob you guys or was he, he angry a, or just mentally i think he was or? fucked up on drugs he had dm me like a couple dozen times and i'd never even seen it or opened it mm. so i guess he wanted some attention i don't know what did that feel like to have a gun pointed at you at least that you thought was real i mean it's like you spend a lot of your time thinking like oh like I'm not famous like that, you know, like I don't need security. Like I don't need to have people around me with guns and shit like that. Like, but then that was just kind of this wake up call of like, oh, maybe it is real. Like maybe I actually am like notable enough that I need to move around a certain way, at least when I'm in this environment. When I think about that now, I mean, the fact that the fact that we were that easily run up on a bull 
is just insane. Like, why, like I just take my security so much more serious. And I say that I'm out in Vegas right now with no security and nobody with me. And I'm just, cause I was like thinking about, it, I'm like, am I really going to have security out here? And I'm going to be sitting at the poker table for like eight hours a day. And what is the security going to do? I don't know. But in, in LA, like at our office now, we have guys like take care of us. And yeah. everything, I mean, it know? would make sense at an office where people could figure out where you are and then yeah. show up there. But would you, do you, do you have security when you go around LA? I wouldn't say I have security, but yeah. I'm usually with a, a large gentleman who's looking after me. So, have you ever had an incident or no? I mean, there was that. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, one time I was uh, sitting in a, a nail salon next to my store, and this is like 2017. Yeah. I didn't know it wasn't clear to me how big I was yet or whatever. And uh, this is just something I would never do now. And I just went in this nail salon and I was getting a manicure. And then uh, some guys ran up in there, and one of them just punches me in the face from the no. side. And I like, I think he hit me one more time as I went down. And I just like look up and I see them running away, and I'm just like, what the? You know, I, I couldn't believe it. And then I ended up figuring out like a year later that this rapper who I had talked pretty bad about had sent these guys to pay me a visit. So yeah, that was, that was another important learning moment of nobody's gonna catch me lacking ever again. Wow. Mm. Yeah, parts of L.A. have really degraded and gone downhill. I mean, I know that Melrose area, I've seen, because I, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I've just seen the decay over the mm. last, well, especially the last, like, three years. It's gotten really bad. Do you know if they've cleaned it up now, or they're making an effort to help with that situation? It seems like it's just crime has been getting worse. Yeah, I've been hearing more and more and more reports. Now it's it's become a, a common in Beverly Hills and Hollywood, believe it or not, um, what people will do is they'll stock really nice cars, mm. and then what people they'll leave do in a strip club because you have cash yeah, on right. and stuff like that. But yeah. even just like someone's leaving from work, they park their car in a lot or they go out to dinner, and then what what will happen is that there'll be a car that'll follow them back home, and usually a lot of the, these wealthier houses will have gates or whatever, or the garage door. The garage girl will open up and they just run in behind. Mm. Where they see them open the door, and as soon as they open the door, they run up. But you know the crazy yeah. part, too, is that everybody has the cameras out in front of their house right. and stuff now. So there's always, like, a, a video element yeah. of it. Because I, when I think about it, though, like, like it's just so normal for us now that we're always sharing videos of crimes that are taking places at people's houses yeah. and stores or whatever in L.A. And uh, part of me wonders, like, if it's just – well, I, I know that the crime rate is up in general, but part of me wonders if there's just more – video evidence because nobody would really care if there wasn't you know but the i don't know i, mean, I don't think so i've yeah. seen uh, because yeah. these were all the years that i worked for like 12 years and now i'm seeing it's just non-stop of like people getting their watches ripped mm. off of them if they're just like sitting down someone will come up and just you know point a knife and just like take off the watch there's a, another guy uh, a video on beverly uh beverly drive in beverly hills the guy's in his ferrari and someone comes up, yanks him out of the car at a red light, and takes his watch. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I've never seen it that bad before. There's a girl I know who uh, is a rapper. She wears a bunch of jewelry. And she was with security the other day. And dudes ran up on her and took yeah. all her jewelry and stuff. And um, there was some debate about maybe the security was in on yeah, it or something yeah, right. like that. But... I mean, yeah, that like sometimes I have people who are like, why don't you wear diamonds? Why don't you have like a big chain? I'm like, yeah, I don't want to bring that kind of energy yeah. around me at all. That feels like such a liability, like to just be walking around with that much money on you. Like right. I just don't find that attractive in general. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to leave California? I don't think I could. 
because I just kind of need to be where the people are at. So it's been interesting seeing like Miami and Austin become so much yeah, more relevant or even Vegas, I guess, to an extent. Memphis. Memphis, yeah. yeah. I, I don't really like to travel to do my podcast because I feel like I'm kind of, I like to like let people come to me. I, sure. kinda, I, I don't know. There's never like one piece of content that I want so bad that I'm willing to go travel for a few days to get it done usually. Um, but yeah, leaving, I don't know. I don't think I could do it. And plus like my girl is like, her family is like yeah. such a big deal with her because uh, she's Armenian. It's like, oh, yeah. they're just, they're so tied in. And for her to leave, I mean, it would be like, such a betrayal of yeah, everything oh gosh, that they yeah. believe in. I don't think I could yeah. leave. Yeah, but spending five million bucks for a new set—that's all. That's a lot of money. Porn money. That's a lot. Let's let's talk about <laughs> let's, let's talk, talk about, about yeah. your different business structures and yeah. verticals that you have going on. Because I know also you guys do OnlyFans. Yeah. Can you talk about like percentage-wise where the money comes from from your different revenue streams? Well, the nice thing is that with no jumper, we bring in a. A pretty significant amount of money but also you know i got all these editors i got filmers i got all these different hosts who make uh content on the platform and everything so the money gets divided up decently you know we still make pretty good money but then uh with plug talk which is my only fans podcast we have one employee realistically we probably don't even need one employee we could do it all ourselves if we wanted i'm trying to hire more people just because it's growing pretty rapidly but uh yeah at one point um maybe uh, i'm thinking 2019 or like right before the pandemic um there's this guy vitaly youtuber yeah and he had a site called uh vitaly uncensored yep. yep and the the team behind that they were reaching out to me because they wanted me to do my own version of it and uh his thing was kind of like pranks but then there would be some boobs exposed at a certain <laughs> point or something like that i never seen it it's yeah. i mean no offense to vitaly i heard he was making five hundred thousand a month from that site I would be very skeptical of that really? exact that's what he said amount. on that's what he said on impulsive yeah i would be very skeptical okay. of that right. of, of having talked to the people involved and everything like that but who knows maybe he yeah. had a five hundred thousand dollar month i don't know i'm yeah. telling you that that's not out of the question for us at all that's yeah. kind of regular for us at this point but um they they wanted us to do something that was you know a podcast where the girls took their boobs out at some point and me and my girl just kept talking about it and i was like a i don't think we need this company and b i think we need to fuck the girls after we interview them because otherwise it's just fake like otherwise somebody else is going to do that and it's like why wouldn't we just take it to the logical extreme you know we know all these porn star girls we know that they would do this kind of content who else is poised like i do interviews you're a famous porn star. Like, my girl only works with me, but, you know, or and other girls. But, you know, I was just like, we could just do this. And we uh, we had a lot of delays because she got pregnant as we were kind of gearing up to do this. But, yeah, we drop an episode a week. And f- for me, I, I think of it as, like, right now it's just this weekly podcast that you get to see the full version on OnlyFans. But I have so many ideas for just, like, holes in the adult marketplace that I think we could fill in terms of additional content and I just really am excited to kind of turn it into this like vibrant porn media company because I feel like porn is so much more mainstream now and there's so much growth to be had in it. But a lot of people in the industry are maybe not that forward thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. because it is, I know so many people who just, just raking money, just making content that realistically doesn't require any sort of thought or anything like that. You know, people just pay for porn, um, pretty consistently. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of become a thing. And we do a lot of variety now, too, where sometimes uh, 
the other day we interviewed a, a couple together that does porn together and then they had sex with each other after you know that was a really interesting interview to find out the dynamic of their relationship and you know sometimes we'll do uh interviews with girls where uh we'll have a, a guy come in and like we had we interviewed a girl the other day who lost her uh peach emoji virginity on the podcast with a guy <laughs> afterwards which was pretty cool and um imagine yeah. doing this check the yeah. check i got this new idea for the podcast a lot of people <laughs> can't even fathom it no, and I to can't. me it is so second nature it's so easy oh my gosh like in it's comparison so to a day where i'm just man. talking on camera those days feel incredibly oh easy like i'm just so super laid back and relaxed the whole time because it's so it's like from a from a monetary perspective, it's genius. <laughs> mm. Like I'm sure that so you guys I, are raking it in. Uh, so I'm confused. So <laughs> you're interviewing somebody at, uh, at the table, and then like halfway through, they decide to. Well, it's kind use, of, or, or they talk it through, or we what? do the interview because it's like a mic situation yeah. where we're wearing the clip-on mics for the interview, yeah. and then at a certain because we don't want to have to have like a desk with mics because then you can't see the girl or whatever, and then at a certain point, we just sort of break for. A couple minutes so that we could switch to the boom mic and then we get into it you know although i would really like to make it smooth enough that we could just transition right from the conversation into the sex but the mic situation like i'm just i'm not going to use a boom mic for the podcast it's going to sound like shit and i refuse like yeah yeah and then we can't wear lapel mics while we're it's just sex, it so. sounds so stupid but like uh when when they're doing their their show you know do you ask them questions or do you continue the interview? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Although sometimes it is more talkative than you'd think. Like sometimes there is a, a decent amount of conversation flowing afterwards. Yeah. How much does that make? Many, you... many, many hundreds of thousands a month, I guess is a simple yeah. way to say it. And my girl obviously is 50-50 with me on it. Yeah. But we both are very happy with it. Yeah. And yeah. we manage girls under that umbrella. You know, I'm like, sure you drive a lot of traffic too from No Jumper to the OnlyFans. Yeah, but also it's kind of its own entity. Like mm -hmm. if you if you subscribe to No Jumper on YouTube, you would never know unless you just heard me mention it in a random podcast. We have one clip per week. Like we'll take like a ten minute clip and on the weekend we'll drop it from the plug talk thing just to give it some extra exposure. But yeah, it's not really. Uh, I like it because over the years we've always just had po uh, porn stars on. And then the fans like who, who just want to see rap interviews are complaining and acting like we're sort of like, you know, invalidating the whole purpose of the channel by interviewing porn stars as well. And for me, it was kind of nice to be able to say, okay, let's segment this up. We still have some porn stars on uh, No Jumper from time to time, but usually only like really big names. Wow. So how many people do you have employed? Like what's the, how's the business structured? Jeez, I don't know, maybe like 10 in-house, and then we have a bunch of freelance people and a bunch of people that we kind of pay to do stuff. I don't know. It would be hard to say. It could be like 15. I don't okay. Could we talk numbers at all in terms of like income? Are you comfortable sharing any of that? Sure, I don't care. What is, what is the whole brand make in, in a month or in a year? I mean, no jumper might bring in a million a month. Wow. And then plug Holy talk. Crap. Not quite as much, but in the ballpark arena of that. How? How yeah, where's it? We do that. Jack? Yeah, you got to consult us on the. Jeez. Is it sponsorship revenue? Not really. That that's how we would get to two million a month. Is if we had a fucking what? barstool sports type 
ad sales team really yeah. blanking on our shit in ads. No, I mean, a big part of it's Patreon. You know, we have a Patreon that does six figures a month. We Facebook has been insane. We're making a couple hundred grand a month on Facebook. YouTube does good. Our Clips channel right. all of a sudden does That's super good. That's just posting the podcast on Facebook? The full podcast? We have a team that'll take the interviews and cut them into these like four minute clips oh, and they're oh, super yeah. good at making it pop off like we, it feels like everything they post on facebook will do a million views so that I, team yeah. should use their services for other podcasts they do i could I, you yeah. want to get hooked up so I I, yeah i tried yeah. i tried doing that for my videos and it did horribly and i realized that facebook's audience is so vast that my segment for like young 20s 30 somethings for personal finance is not there on Facebook. They're not there on Facebook. They're not on Instagram, YouTube. Uh, I bet Facebook. there's a strategy that could get your shit in front of them. I think Facebook wants you to pay money to reach your audience or to reach a, I don't know. I know a lot of people doing really good business on there and it's totally lost on me how they do it because I always posted stuff on Facebook and would do okay. I mean, my, my goal, yeah. cause we have a bunch of different Facebook pages in the works. My personal a branded Facebook page. Like we're converting from a personal account to like a page or however that works. We're doing a plug talk account, et cetera. Um, trying to do, see how we can do with the BMX side of things on there. But I mean, my guy who I do the Facebook thing with me, told me, he's like, I think you can make a million a month from just Facebook. Gosh, we got to do that. Jack. Yeah. Mm. I'm actually very down to talk uh, about what that. What do you after. offer on Patreon? So we do one, we do one episode per week where we have a different, uh, OnlyFans girl or whatever and it's not plug talk because there's no sex yeah. but they get naked or they do crazy stuff whatever so it's kind of like one uncensored episode per month and then um, we, we release the audio from some of the podcasts early or like um, no the, the actual interviews on there early sometimes but the majority of it is just the fact that we have naked girls on there which I know what you're thinking it sounds very redundant with plug talk except that they're not having sex but it turns out they don't care, I guess. The audio version, you know, I never have put mm. really an emphasis on yeah. the on the yeah. audio version. True. But there's this company, Megaphone, that we signed with that's a Spotify company or whatever, and they insert ads into your podcast. So it's not like the ones you're mm. reading. Like you can you can yeah, add sure. the ad breaks or whatever, and that that's been really big for us. It's just a combination of a bunch of things. But the Facebook thing was really what put us over the top because it's almost like more money than we make on YouTube, where I've been grinding away day in, day out for like Six, seven, eight years. Wow. Facebook and Snapchat. Snapchat's pretty good to us. Um, we can yeah. try that. Yeah. Our TikTok's been doing really well. Yeah, the Ice Coffee yeah. Hour does really well on short form. Graham's main channel stuff doesn't, surprisingly, it doesn't do quite as well. Mm -hmm. But the TikTok stuff, it's like you clip it up and whoever guest you have on, their audience also, like the TikTok yeah. Alv the TikTok algorithm will just like find them immediately. Right. So those do extremely well. Yeah. yeah. And we've spent a good amount of money getting our TikTok up to where it's at now. I think we have like 1.6 million or whatever, but we have not monetized it in any real way, shape or form. Yeah. It's not good for monetization. It's just no. brand awareness. Yeah. yeah. What do you do with all the money? Nothing. Save it. It's invest cash? it. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you invest it? Uh, real estate, stocks, crypto. I'm not, I don't personally spend a ton of time on thinking about it i just have a team or a business manager who helps me do the right stuff with it yeah. i'm very confident in him so yeah what sort of real estate do you own uh the house i live in now okay. it's like a couple million on that uh and then we bought this big warehouse and i'm just planning on probably doing more of that and just, i just want to own more stocks more crypto more real estate in general you know it's not crypto when you start buying crypto 
not i don't have like a, a cool crypto story i just okay. have like a couple hundred grand in it that's just been sort of rocking there not gaining or losing much value the whole time i've had it in there all right is it what is it a bitcoin ethereum I yeah take it? Okay. both yeah got it yeah i kind of missed out on it, man I, I i look at all the rappers who were able to pull off these crazy crypto promotion things oh gosh and right. on one hand i'm like geez i'm so glad that i like kept my integrity yeah. intact and didn't do those but then at the same time i know a lot of people who did it and really didn't experience that much backlash because it was early enough and you know coffeezilla can only target so many people you yeah, know I was you can about all to say you'll end up <laughs> yeah. with coffeezilla <laughs> yeah like my girl yeah. my girl turned down like half a million for an nft thing yeah. uh six months ago or however many months ago and i remember telling her i'm like it's not worth it they're gonna make videos about yes you, you don't want to be a fucking advertisement for this shit and she you know she said, okay i'll trust you and the exact deal that she did is the thing that lana or that she didn't do is the thing that lana rhodes oh, did yeah. that she's getting because they're they're friends and like yeah. seeing lana rhodes get turned into this fucking billboard of like what a, a nft scam is has been pretty crazy, but I mean, like Soldier Boy was selling NFTs of all of his old tweets in the beginning, and people were buying them and stuff. Like Soldier Boy probably made so many millions of dollars yeah. doing these stupid things that nobody even remembers, because it's easier to go out to Jake Paul or Logan Paul or Steve Will Do It or whoever you know, like Coffeezilla or whoever is going to target the the big obvious superstar dudes. You know, even if my girl had done that. Mm -hmm. Lana Rose is like a lot more famous than my girl, I guess. So yeah. realistically, she might have still just been the one to take the shit for it. Correct. But who knows? Steve will do it. Someone I would love to meet too. Have you met him? Good guy. Yeah, we did video. We did interview like before they were big. I remember them. Uh, they their idea was to dress up as SoundCloud rappers and come to an event at my store and basically troll the fans and just say crazy yeah. stuff to them and get them to fall for it. Yeah. But this was like one of the, the times where they realized that even if they're wearing disguises, that they were too famous and they weren't going to be able to pull this off yeah. anymore. So uh, that was kind of crazy to see them have that realization. Yeah. Yeah. I have so much respect for Nelk and everything they have done. It's yeah. incredible. I love listening to the interviews with um, with Kyle. Just mm. any podcast he did. He did one with a, a Canadian channel and they were they were mm. really small. They had like, I watched that. Yeah. yeah 10,000 subscribers, but they were from their hometown. And they're like, we just want to support and it was one of the coolest interviews I've listened to just to get into the mind of Kyle, like how he sees everything as a business. And beyond all the partying and the drinking, like he's so smart and strategic with everything he does. Like I really respect that. And they really doubled down on like just creating a brand and not worrying about that short term YouTube money. You know, their videos are geared to be as entertaining as possible. It's, yeah. They're like Mr. Beast in that way, too, where like yeah. I'm just going to make the best stuff. I'm going to build the coolest brand and. I'll, I'll do that whereas like so many of the earlier generation of youtubers were just i'm gonna make a video per day because i'm making ten thousand dollars a video and i'm gonna grind this shit until i have a couple million and then i'm probably gonna stop because i'm you know it's t so taxing doing this day yeah. after day and to see nelk have such a bigger vision has been pretty crazy and i remember on that interview i think i wanted to go an hour and i think we only only went like 40 minutes or something like mm -hmm. that they, they didn't strike me at that time as being people who were going to do a really great podcast yeah. but kyle he kills it yeah, he's been doing great yeah i agree it's it's been cool to see their evolution too because i remember them going just from quick pranks to then the storyline behind the pranks and they were i believe they were one of the first people to like here's leading up to the prank and we're going to be going to this party and sleeping on someone's couch and okay now we're going to do the prank and here's it afterwards and we're going to run away and we're going to talk and they created like this whole 20 minute storyline mm. around a two minute prank 
And then briefly they tried doing like scripted content and it was interesting to see how how quick they pivoted because everyone in the comments was like, this ain't it, sorry, mm. I can see you're trying, like I just hate this content, go back to this. But you could tell they're listening in right. every single video and they're like, all right, they didn't like this, let's tweak it a little bit. Mm, definitely, And they yeah. developed that so well. And they were just smart about aligning themselves with people who could do things that were too big for them to take on themselves like with the happy dad thing yeah the fact that they just went and linked up with a really serious team who could get something like that done and that's i'm just amazed by yeah. that it's really impressive i'm yeah. curious if they got offers for buyouts on that i i, I like 100 percent. someone should have made an offer or, or i bet they did and they probably yeah. turned it down to buy that yeah because i mean the next couple of years of growth yeah they got that for sure i feel like at some point maybe it gets so big that they aren't able to really like run it themselves but it feels like the people they partnered with are experienced enough that you know if they do sell it's gonna be the fucking budweiser some yeah. huge company you know do you have any other advice for us is uh as trying to continue to grow the podcast We've we've uh, like what difficulties have we had, Jack? I would say our big one is um, making sure that we have exciting guests on, that we ask the right questions. We we try to play to the strengths of the algorithm sometimes, and uh, but our thing is like how do we keep improving and one upping and. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think about a lot, and I was thinking about this when I was listening to you talk about what your days are like, of like really being focused in on your video for the day and listening to you talk about how much time you put into thinking of the titles and the thumbnails and stuff. I love that. But at a certain point, it started to really click with me that like I can only do so much on camera and I, I just needed to build a team and then I needed to start like embracing some of the people I was meeting to make content for me, you know, and I feel like I could, I don't know if that's necessarily a logical process for you, but I think that like getting people under your umbrella and even with plug talk, like I have this big idea that we're working on right now where we're going to have a separate podcast that people can pay extra for where we have these two girls that we manage and they're going to interview male porn stars and then fuck them on camera <laughs> afterwards. And I mean, I'm just like, this is amazing. Cause if I can make this happen, then that could be content that we're making on a day where I'm off doing no jumper content and I'm not even there. And I mean, that's kind of how I see it now is like a, a lot of times I just in my schedule, I'll be like, Wednesday, I'm not doing anything. I'm working with my team and I'm reviewing people who've sent in their information that want to do stuff on camera. Because if I can find even one person that's good on camera, they might make me, you know, a hundred hours worth of content this year. And uh, that's just really valuable. And, you know, if I, if I really focus on just doing as much as possible, I think I have, have seen the limits of that for myself because mm -hmm. I've... I've had days where I did five podcasts where I was on camera for like 10 hours straight. And I've had days, I've had weeks where I did, you know, 10, 12 podcasts in a week. And that's not the only, and some of them are plug talk episodes where I'm also having sex. And I've like, I've really burnt myself out as much as I possibly could to the point where, uh, you know, I'm taking a one week off vacation was like the hardest thing I could have possibly done at that time. And I don't really feel that way anymore. I feel very much more like content with, being a little bit more moderate with my behavior. And I think having a kid really helped me a lot with that because it's just something that I needed to slow down and I needed to be able to like enjoy the, the simple things in life a little bit more. And my kid has kind of forced me to do that because I just realized within the first couple months of like, if I keep working every weekend, I'm just never really going to see my kid grow up. And so I've kind of found like a better pace at this How point. How do you balance the two? I pretty much just work 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day, Monday through Friday, and try to get that time in in the morning. 
And then Saturday and Sunday, I usually just have cleared. And sometimes I'll have to go do something during that time. But I mean, it's just really forced me to like look at what I'm doing with my time and just make these decisions. I have so many friends that still go to the club and they swear up and down that the club is just such a valuable networking experience that you just have to do it if you want to stay relevant in this game. And I'm just like, I can't justify staying out till three in the morning doing anything, never mind. Uh, just hanging out you know it's not fun to me like i want to be advancing in my life etc and so yeah i've just kind of like found how to cut as much stuff out of my life as possible to be able to focus on things that seem like they matter um yeah and i mean but like you know certain things of are the casualties of that like on my personal youtube channel i've barely posted for the last year or two and that's one thing i really want to do is just find somebody who can help me script videos and like really help me just make that more consistent so that I can be voicing the videos and maybe not necessarily being the one writing them. Cause I love writing. I love to sit and yeah. what are the write scripted videos you do? I did a bunch of them where, you know, I was like reacting to people's only fans for some reason. Well, that was, that was like the entry yeah. clickbait, but it's really just like kind of like a venue for me to talk about whatever. And I've, I remember I did like a half hour video about this porn star, Brian pumper who just had like the most ridiculous life story ever. And I felt like it wasn't, properly documented online so i just i might have spent a month researching this guy just so that i can i could just write this ridiculous video about him and ended up getting like a million views and i was very happy that i could have that many people paying attention to a male porn star's life story had to slip brian pumper in there my fans are gonna be like he mentioned him he had to do it brian pumper (laughs) what a name not his real name oh yeah 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 i figured Wow. So you're honest, and you you've watched the main my main channel. Mm-hmm. I mean, your honest advice is to find someone to script those videos that I'm doing because it's so intricate. I mean, if you watch it, you see the. I wouldn't say that like you should do that because obviously your channel is just your baby, and it yeah. just so clearly is coming from your mind. But I do think that the most important thing that I've had to figure out, and I've been kind of slow to figure it out, is that you just got to figure out how to delegate responsibility, and you got to find people who can do the do certain things for you that you wouldn't that you're doing yourself you just have to be able to clear up more and more time i was just recently doing a lot of research into hiring an executive assistant i I saw somebody on some podcast recommend that and i started really researching that and and i just feel like that would be the key to me making me way more productive like i still write all of our titles and review the timestamps and come up with the clips and everything like that i feel like that's something where if i hired somebody who could do all that stuff for me on every episode that that would be uh really helpful in terms of just clearing up more time that i could be on camera more or doing more stuff that i'm kind of uniquely available to do yeah it's interesting for me. It's uh, it's emails that take up my time, mm. but some of those emails, it's like, well, I gotta respond to those emails right. just because it's why just because I'd like <clears throat> someone else would be asking me, what do I say to this? And I would just dictate the message anyway. But if you have an so, assistant yeah. that you really trust, yeah. to be able to like answer a lot of your emails for you and forward them to the right places and really like. I feel like that's something that if I were to clear that up in my life, then I would be able to put a lot more time into creative things. But I mean, I'm really excited to get a store again because I have this vision. Like we always made content out of the store. And like when I think about a store, I don't think of it as like, you know, we sell stuff and we can make money selling stuff, but that's never going to be the real backbone of it. You know, I want to make content out of there and I really want to get a store and do a live stream out the back of the store and then be able to interact with the customers in the front of the store 
like having a camera yeah, out a bunch there of characters where, getting where in I there can there talk and, to yeah. them and create content off of like we never really made that much content with all these strange people that were coming to the store aside from maybe getting a clip here or there and I just feel like there's I don't know it's just the content machine I feel like could be operating a, a little bit more effectively and yeah we were going to get this one store and then this the landlord was such a nightmare to deal with it. i think we just pulled back and just said hey we're going to find something else because it's just yeah. not going to work long term where do you want to be 10 years from now where do you see yourself i really don't know it's just it would be nice to think that i would have enough money that i wouldn't really have to be that concerned with hustling but then like the thing that is the most profitable for me to do most days is also pretty much my favorite thing to do. Like days where I go in and I do three interviews in a day or, you know, I feel so incredibly content. I feel like when I look at how I went in this direction, it was really because I wanted to do something that I could do over and over and over and never get sick of. And I have a lot of friends who run brands where maybe they have a logo and the, the, basis of their entire life is putting that logo on different things and coming up with different logos and different products and coming up with cool uh you know ways to market it and promote it and stuff like that and i really really respect that but i don't know that that would have kept me entertained in the long run like i just need to be talking to somebody new every day and uh or not every day but just all the time the more people that i can get to know on camera and i feel like it makes me a better person like i feel like i I'm sitting there in the chair reminding myself to breathe deep and not think about myself for a couple hours and just really focus in on like how can I humanize this person or what what's the what's the best thing that I could pull out of this person right now and you know just trying to get as intense and and personal with them as possible is really just like I don't know sometimes I wonder if there's anything that's going to really give me that sense of fulfillment yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned a, a dollar amount maybe that's like if I had this you know I wouldn't it, could you throw out a dollar amount that that kind of you had in your mind or like a, like a goal or like if i hit x amount well there's a a lyric from the great little baby where he says i ain't got a hundred million yet i can't chill yet and i felt that <laughs> so a hundred mil well i just thought you know at a hundred mil maybe i could chill but definitely <laughs> i can't chill before that <laughs> it's a good goal i like that wow well, that's like a number I couldn't imagine what the fuck I would do with it. So, really? so at least yeah. that's, you know, it would be a, a new world of problems, perhaps. But you said you don't spend your money on much. Like, do you not have expensive taste or anything? Nothing. No. Cars? Okay. No. What do you drive? At least uh, an i8 or something. Some okay. BMW. I don't, yeah. know, I don't even know anything. My, my, well, the i8s with the doors that go up. Yeah, but that can't Oh, no. Like, the doors don't go up. Oh, then. M, I, I don't know. Cause my, oh, it's my, probably a... My girl's dad got mad at me because he said, he said like, what kind of car are you going to I said, BMW. He goes, what kind? I don't, I don't, I don't okay. know much about cars. Okay. I don't know anything about sports. M5. I have many, many cultural blind spots. Sure. Yeah. Clothes. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Fancy dinners. We'll go out for nice dinners. Maybe but still like relative to your income. That's what? bucks every couple of weeks or something. You know, me and my girl are also very into exercise and um, diet and stuff too. So that would probably keep me from getting too into fine dining. Wow. That's incredible. Well, you could always Kudos. spend money in a, on a nicer house. Yeah. You know, that's always something for me. But the thing about space, it is, yeah. is that when we really like now that we've owned a house and it's, three and a half million or something, four million. It's like the realization that the the house that we want or that would actually be good for us in the long run is probably more like 10. Yeah. That's kind of like, oh shit, that's a lot of money. And that's a big, that's a lot to 
bite off there. Yeah. I also really want to have a skate park and like a warehouse. Um, ideally, like near my current spot, I would love to just have a buy a you warehouse could do that and, and like buy around the Calabasas area. Yeah, a little further inland though. But if I got to drive forty yeah. minutes north, no, I don't know if that's gonna suck the fun out of it. But I would yeah. love to have that. Just, Glendale's just great to too. Glendale, so, yeah. yeah, that's where my girl's from. Yep. Yeah. Well, is there anything else? Any any questions for us that you could think of? Fuck. Let's go get some steak. All right. That sounds delicious. <laughs> cool. Thank you so Thank much. You, this is actually... Shout out to my boy Landon for. Yeah. Like, Thank you, know. Landon. I yeah. noticed his camera turned off at some point, but. Yeah, I heard the click, but yeah. uh, we never ended up using it. So, you know what? We. Yeah, it's. It, doesn't even work anyway. <laughs> well, thank you guys. We're so really much. appreciative yeah. of this, yeah, man. No doubt. Appreciate yeah. you guys. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Did you get your free stock down below in the description when you sign up for public? Certainly not. No. Nope. The code Graham. No. You didn't get it, Jack? I haven't it's even gotten money. it. No. I'm going to make you do it right afterwards. It's free money. <sighs> All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks for subscribing. Thank you so much. We'll link to your info down below in the description. And until next time. Appreciate you guys. Thank you, man. That That's so actually, that was I great. Loved it.